Anything else, let's, uh, let's turn to the Lord and ask his presence here. Dear Father in heaven, before we open thy word, we want to acknowledge our delight, dear Father, to do that, that we are coming now to the, the living well. Thy holy word, dear Father, which, of which men and women can be born again to an incorruptible seed, of which we can be revived, which we can drink of, dear Father. We know it is thy spirit who desires to speak through the words on these pages, dear Father, to bring to our remembrance the things we've learned in the past, to teach us new things, dear Father, to, to open our eyes to the, the problems we've been struggling with, the, the, the mountains that we think are in front of us, dear Father, to help us to see through faith that they can be moved, that we can say, go there and it will go. Dear Father, we know that this power is not of ourselves and is not based on our past track record and how good we've been as Christians, dear Father, but it is based on our abasing ourselves, our humbling ourselves before Thee, our crying out to Thee for dependence. So that's how we would like to begin this worship service this morning is by crying out to Thee, acknowledging our dependence on Thy loving word. We're thankful for this opportunity, dear Father, and we pray that the needs would be met this morning hour through the ministry, the service of thy word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to turn with the Lord's help this morning to the first epistle to the Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter nine. First Corinthians chapter nine. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock, and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man? Or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, 
we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I've read to the end of chapter 9. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel to pray. Heavenly Father and Lord God, we thank thee that we're gathered here this morning on such a beautiful day in thy house to worship thee. We're thankful that thy word has been preserved and we're thankful that the government of this country allows us to freely gather in thy name. We have so many good things here, Heavenly Father, that it's easy to forget and to become a spoiled children and realize that it was not always so with the children of God. The Apostle Paul saw firsthand what it was to be mistreated and then even martyred by authorities, and yet we do not detect any spirit of complaining in him either. Indeed, it was he that said that he glories in his infirmities. Heavenly Father, help us to remember these things when we read thy word, that it would put our own problems, our own difficulties in context, that we would realize we have so much that we need to be thankful for, and we ought to be lifting holy hands unto thee every day, thanking thee 
for thy goodness toward us. Heavenly Father, help us to use the good time that we have as well. Let us be lights and examples to those around us that are lost and dying in this world of sin. Help us to be not only bright lights to those who wish for light, but good examples, a hearing ear, a, a, a kind word, whatever is required, Heavenly Father, that through whatever means we may gain uh, to thy kingdom those that are, uh, those that are, that, those that are searching and, and seeking for truth. Be with the brother now as he would lead us in the word. Grant him thoughts from thy spirit, Heavenly Father, that thy word would not return unto thee void, but that it would continue to have its purpose to encourage and to instruct, to correct, to, to convict, Heavenly Father, and to draw more sons and daughters unto thee. Be with those that are sharing thy word in difficult circumstances throughout this world. The persecuted church at large, Heavenly Father, we want to pray for them and ask that thy Holy Spirit would be present with them. Be with those also that are grieving, those that are fatherless, those that are orphaned, those that are the despised, the downcast of the world, Heavenly Father. Be with them and help us to minister also to their needs. Be with us now as we look into thy word together when we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word we have before us this morning is part of a larger letter, which we all know. I hope we're all familiar with. We've preached out of many times. But maybe the context of this particular chapter is a little, um, we need to review that first before we understand the message the Lord is trying to, to speak to us this morning, what he wants to, um, us to take in, and how he wants us to be changed. God's word will never return unto him void. It always will accomplish uh, what is it, it is intended. It's a powerful word. And my prayer this morning is we would acknowledge that and let the Lord's word have its work. So this first epistle to the Corinthians, um, the format of it is loosely uh, based on a series of, of, of questions that Paul is answering, that the, that the church has posed him. They've written to him and has a series of questions, and, and he, um, he writes many more things than the answers to those questions, but it seems to be that he comes back and, and, time and time again to these questions, now concerning this, now concerning that. It seems to be he's referencing uh, questions that they had. In the previous chapter, there was a question addressed about meat offered to idols. Now is touching things offered unto idols, and he answers that question. And he concludes that section in... in, in uh, chapter 8 about his rights and saying basically you know if it's going to cause my weak brother to offend and to, to stumble I'm going to put aside my rights I'm, I'm not going to eat meat while the world eat flesh while the world stands I will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend but now it seems in chapter 9 he goes on a uh, he develops that more and, and almost an aside he, he, he gives as his own example how much he has surrendered his rights 
not just to, out of concern for his weak brother, but for the sake of the gospel. How much he has put aside what is rightfully his, and he spends a good number of verses at the beginning making that case, my answer to them that do examine me is this. He, he lays that out as a, as a case, as it were. His rights in the gospel are to be financially supported by the church there. He, he says, is it, a, is it a small thing that I reap your carnal things if, if, if I've ministered unto you spiritual things? But he wants to show a larger picture in that. He's not, he makes it abundantly clear, it's better that I would die than, than someone would misunderstand this, that I'm trying to get some money from you. And I think the Lord's intent for us this morning is for us to reflect on ourselves and our own lives and where we need to surrender our rights and our concept of, of life and how it should be and what is owed to us in the furtherance of the gospel for his purposes, for his uh, message to go out to touch lives. Paul begins by saying, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? In terms of earthly authority, Paul really isn't answerable to anyone else in the church. He's an apostle. He's, as it were, at the top of the hierarchy in the, in the, in the church. He makes it clear, and his life makes it clear that that means he's a servant to all, and he's really at the bottom. He has made himself at the bottom, but spiritually, there is not an, uh, an authority in terms of someone else that, 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 um, that is a father figure or a mentor to him. At this point, he's an apostle. He's been directly commissioned, directly, uh, uh, had received direct revelation from Jesus Christ to spread the message of the gospel. And as it were, to write these pages of scripture as we were, as we're that we read now. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Furthermore, he says, you yourselves are proof of my apostleship. Are not ye my work in the Lord? If others, if I'm not an apostle to others, if they don't regard me or, or uh, um, if they reject my apostleship, yet doubtless I am to you. I started that church in Corinth. And I, I know, I, I, I told you the basis, I gave you the basis for your belief, pointing to the Lord. You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So this passage here, you know, the cynic maybe we would, would read it and think, well, is this just a, a section of Paul bragging about how much he's undergone or how much he's given up for the sake of the gospel so that he can look good? To use his words, he says, God forbid. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ by which I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. No, Paul is not bragging. He's not puffing himself up. As it seems to always be the case, whenever he talks about himself, gives some details about his life and autobiography, he's doing two things. He's defending his apostleship. He is, he is making it clear that, that what has happened in his life is a proof of what he says. And number two, he's setting an example, a pattern. This is a a fatherly Paul who's writing to his spiritual children and giving them an example to follow and, and stirring them up and saying, no, you, you have the wrong idea here. 
you, you have the wrong idea about me and you have the wrong idea about your own lives and, and your, your lives in the gospel. That's the, the nature of this writing. That's the, the example he's, he's giving here. And he starts by making that case by giving a bunch of examples. He's, he first points to the other apostles. He says, have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? And here, I, I think it means that in the service of the gospel, traveling to other places and churches, they were supported, the other apostles were supported by those churches, and they received financial support, whether it was food, um, or monetary means or gifts uh, of money, um, and their families, their wives too, that went with them. Looks, it's clear here from this reference that Peter was married. He led about a sister, a wife. But it's clear that Paul made the decision early on in his ministry, and, and it seems to be the pattern throughout. There's a few exceptions and a few cases where he did differently, but that he would work with his own hands. And he did this specifically, as he says here, for the furtherance of the gospel, so that Satan would not have a, an opportunity to, to um, hinder, and that he could make it go further. He could make the, the effects, the working of the gospel, more effective by doing this. Was it easier physically? I certainly don't think so. It took time. Acts. The example in Acts, it says specifically in Corinth that he worked as a tent maker while he was there. He, he found actually other believers, Aquila and Priscilla, and they had the same craft, the same um, the profession, and they, they, they wrote, they, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and Greeks. This society in ancient Greece, um, it was a slave-based society. It was uh, one that, that needed the manual labor of slaves to, to operate and to function. And for that reason, manual labor was not really... Uh, it was looked down on, you know, all, all those people that were more educated and that were um, uh, more sophisticated. Manual labor was for something for slaves or for, for lower classes, for people that, that, that uh, couldn't do anything else. And yet Paul is working with his hands here. Paul is specifically choosing to do this for the furtherance of the gospel. He's making a decision in his lifestyle, in his manner uh, of, of, of work, and of, of conversing with other people to further the gospel when he would have a right to receive financial uh, reward of other people. And he specifically says this also. When he's saying his uh, farewells to the brethren at Ephesus before he heads to Jerusalem, when he's talking about, again, how he's conducted himself, he says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessity. He's talking about his own hands. These hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. He worked, and actually, on the basis of his work, he was supported others that were with him that maybe could not or, or uh, that whatever trade they had was not readily, they couldn't readily practice it um, where they were. 
I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul was choosing by this manner of life, uh, of, of, of working with his hands as opposed to receiving the financial uh, support of the churches to demonstrate this in the gospel and to prevent an attack of Satan. To, uh, that people could accuse him of abusing his power. Back to 1 Corinthians 9 here. The examples he gives here are copious of, of the right that he has in the gospel. And, and um, I think we all know we, we don't pay our ministers in this church, and, and I believe that's a, that's a good practice based on largely on this scripture, uh, that the, the, the choices that Paul made make a good example, good template for us. But conversely, we should not look down or judge of others that receive that support for the, for the sake of the gospel. He lays it out clearly here. He says, the other apostles received that support. Um, the examples in nature itself, you know, a soldier, does a soldier pay his own way? No, he's supported by those that he's, uh, that he's going to war for, for. Those that plant a vineyard, don't they reap the fruit of it? Those that feed a flock, don't they eat of the milk of the flock? He points to nature, he points to the Old Testament law, too. He says, the example in the law of Moses, the, of the ox that treads the corn, that it's actually, it's a, it's a cruel thing. You know, it's not, God didn't put this commandment here for the sake of oxen. Oxen can't read. He put it for the sake of us to see the principle that it's cruel to, to prevent an animal from partaking of the work that he is, that he is doing or, or in, in some, some sense other people when they are working and when they're uh, uh, taking part in something that say, no, 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 you, you, you can't have any part of it. You cannot enjoy the fruits of your labor. He even goes further than well. He gives examples of the the the, te the temple. Those that work in the temple minister the holy things. They live out the things of the temple. Those that that wait at the altar, they're partakers with the altar. The priests would eat uh, the 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 meat that was uh, uh, remaining after the sacrifice. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And here, the uh, I don't think there's a, this is a specific quote, but. Christ did say, you know, the laborer is worthy of his hire, the, the worker is, is worthy of his meat. When you go and preach the gospel and go into different houses, eat what's set before you, uh, you um, this is the pattern to depend on as you, as you go and spread the gospel. So he lays that out clearly and he says, okay, this is, this is the right that we have. And yet specifically, we have not taken this right we have nevertheless we have not used this power or this right but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ Paul had received a commission to preach the gospel he had no choice in that he had he received a a direct um, command from the Lord on the road to Damascus this is what you you are to do this is what I've appointed to you you to do and he obviously had choices. Each one of us has choice to respond to God's command and, 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 and to God's uh, direction. But it was clear that this is what he must do. But he had choice in how he did it. And in his running of that race, in his, in his striving to excel, to, to, to capture that crown, 
his decision was to say, I'm not going to take any money for this. I'm not going to receive any support for this. I'm going to do it while laboring with my own hands so that I can further the gospel, so that I can extend it. What an example. I think in my own life, you know, I've, I've been called to be a Christian. I've been called to live according to the precepts of, of the gospel. It's been clearly laid out to me, uh, the pattern of, of godly living. But what choice do I make in that? Do I, am I content with, with just a, a quote-unquote godly life or a good moral life that doesn't do any wrong? Or am I making choices that are going to further the gospel? Are they actually going to make God's word more effective in my life? In the, in, the, in, the, in the example to others, in the reaching out to others? Am I going to make deliberate choices about how to further the gospel? I think too often we slip into a, a certain mode of, well, this doesn't contradict the word of God. Whatever I'm doing here or whatever there, the you know, Bible doesn't say anything about it, so I'll, I'll go ahead and do this because it's most convenient or it's the kind of the, the thing that other people are doing. How many, time do we st- how many times do we take a step back, stop, and look, what decision am I making that's going to further the gospel, going to, to make it more effective in my life and for the others, the life, lives of the others? That's the example that Paul gives us here. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. You know, the false teachers and the false prophets, they were in it for the money. And it it, it became, it's apparent today to anyone who has eyes, who can see the nature of these things. But in that day, it was too. Those that would go around, that would speak great speeches, great swelling words, they were in it for the money. And they were in it for the support and the, and the, what they could gain from it. But Paul clearly could see that this was a, a, a working of Satan, and, and lest other people would group him with that, would, would, would think, well, he's one of them. He wanted to make a difference, a difference that would be hard to follow. Those false teachers and those false prophets that's a hard example to follow. Now you're going to work with your own hands and still preach the gospel and still be effective in the ministry and still uh, lay out uh, a clear uh, teaching, spend that time in, in God's word and, and sharing it with others. It's going to be a little harder now. It's, you can't have a comfortable lifestyle and live that kind of life of, of laboring with your hands and, and working hard day and night, as he says. And I think... Um, that's a real example. It's, it's not a comfortable life that we're called to. It's not one that's, um, we're just gonna get set. You know, once we've achieved certain things, once I've been baptized, once I've done this, then I'll get married and, and so on, and my life will just unfold in, in a way that's comfortable and easy for me. If, if that is happening, I really have to take a step back and say, am I really running the race? Am I really um, striving for the crown? You know, in a race where everyone receives a participation ribbon, everyone, good job, you did a good job, well done. That's not really a race. A race is where there's just one winner. There's only one person that's going to be crowned. And so everyone is striving, and they're running for that. That's the, 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 the zeal and the, and the fervor they have to win is because there's only one crown. Paul's not saying here that we're competing against other Christians. Certainly not. 
But we need to have that same zeal, that same uh, striving for the mastery, that there is a crown that's to be won. And if I'm not first, if I don't get to the finish line first, I'm not going to get that crown. There's no sort of participation award in Christianity. Well, you, you, you ran it too. That's, that's okay. That type of attitude just doesn't wash. It doesn't wash with the gospel, with the, with the, the, the love of Christ that, that ought to be welling up from a heart that wants to be a, a living sacrifice for him, that wants to be burned on the altar for him. That, that, that's not godly contentment where we reach a certain place of, wow, this is, this is good, this is, this is fine, we've, we're, we've done enough. The example that Paul continues to give here in the, in the subsequent verses here, 19, shows that he is really willing to give up not only this right of uh, financial support from the church, but he's willing to give up his, um, he's willing to be flexible, flexible and yet focused in the pursuit of the gospel. He's willing to be all things to all men. For though I be free from all men, he's not beholden to anyone. He is free in Christ. He's, he is not under the lordship of any other than the Lord Jesus. Yet have I made myself a servant unto all that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew. Under, uh, to them that are under the law as under the law. Just some examples. If you read in Acts where Paul was willing to go along with, with uh, some of the ceremonial cleansing in the, in the temple or he was willing to actually have Timothy circumcised uh, for the sake of the gospel, for the furtherance of the gospel, to reach out to make that connection in the gospel with those that were under the law, the Jewish believers, to further that gospel. Conversely, to them that are without law, without, outside of the law of Moses, as without law, he could put those things aside and he could realize those things don't really um, hold anything for me anymore. I don't have to fulfill the commands of the Mosaic law. I am free in Christ. There is uh, no requirement anymore for me in Christ to keep the, 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 the physical commands of the, the Mosaic law, the ceremonial things, the cleansings in Christ. I am clean. I am purified. I am made a new creature. And yet, uh, he, could, he could be the, the person that would be looking at his life and saying, well, you're being inconsistent. You're doing one thing with one group of people. You're doing another thing with another group of people. Um, this is not consistent. But the person that knew what Paul was about, that knew the message that he was preaching, that, that could see the truth of it, they could see a life that was focused, a life that was guided by that principle of the gospel, of the truth of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live with everyone that I meet in a way that shows the truth and the power of the gospel. That's what Christ is calling me to also. That sort of flexibility. Not the, um, I'm just going to go along with what everyone says. You know, whatever group I'm with, I'm going to agree with. No. Paul was a, a change agent, as it were. Everywhere he went and the people that he met and mixed with, he had an effect on them. It wasn't the other way around. But he was flexible in putting aside his rights his, the things uh, that he knew, it could be one way or it could be the other in the gospel. It doesn't matter to me. I'm willing to, to, to for the sake of you, my brother, for the weak ones, I'm willing to become weak, to, to explain things in simple terms, to, to, to stoop to your level, as it were, rather than 
trying to display my, my knowledge or my, my understanding, my learning in the law. Flexibility and focus. This I do for the gospel's sake. And the motivation here is that I might be partaker thereof with you or with, with them, with whoever the gospel is shared with. That's Paul's heart in all this. He wants to share it. He really wants to share what he has found in Christ Jesus. And he's not going to let um, any thoughts for his own creature comfort, uh, uh, his concept of, of um, his rights, what belongs to him. He's not going to let that get in the way of that sharing, that delight of, of sharing the good news of the gospel, of, of how it can change your life, how it can change my life. Paul knew that there was, that he, his body, was the obstruction, was the thing that if he let it, would prevent this from happening, would, would tend to a way to, to stifle the gospel, to, to stop that working of the Lord Jesus in him. I keep under my body, I bring it unto, into subjection. The question, I think, for us this morning is, are we led by our bodies or are we leading, are we subjecting our bodies? Do we make decisions based on what is comfortable for us, what is easy for us, what is... Um, meets our needs, our physical needs? Or are we making decisions in line with the gospel that will actually require us to put our bodies under? So often, I mean, I, I, the decisions I make when we eat or this or that, it's, it's based on, okay, I'm hungry now, or this is what I want, and even... Um, you know, I find that in my family decisions, sadly, sometimes creeping in, is that my, uh, my physical needs and, and oh, I, I'm hungry now, let's do this, or I'm not looking for the needs of others. And the Lord's convicted me that that's not Christian living. It really isn't Christian living when it's, when it's my needs first, or what I'm craving, or I'm tired now, so now everyone has to adjust to my schedule. The example that Paul gives here is, is someone who every day is putting his body under. And in so doing, it's, it's not some sort of uh, uh, self-abnegation that, you know, I, I hate my body, I'm, I, I'm going to whip myself. No, it's not that. In so doing, Christ is, uh, is glorified through Paul's body. His physical body is now a means to glorify God. As he makes those daily decisions, I'm going to put my physical needs uh, last. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make decisions that based on what I want now and what I'm feeling and my hunger and my thirst or whatever. I'm going to make decisions based on God and his will. Now God is starting to be glorified in my body. My body becomes um, a, a temple. It becomes something that's perishing, that is, is, is going away quickly, becomes a tool for eternal gain and eternal a, a glory, eternal a consequence. Because Paul knew that if he let things go, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. After telling everyone the rules of the race and how it ought to be run and, and, and uh, that there is a goal and, and if we don't 
um, strive, we won't win, there is a possibility that Paul could be disqualified from that race too. And Paul realizes that, that it's not a given for anyone. There's no point in a, at a, where a Christian has arrived and now we can just... And I think maybe um, that becomes more apparent maybe as our bodies start to fail. That as, as things start to decay with our bodies, as we maybe age and get older, that even then, especially then maybe now, it becomes apparent that my body, I cannot let my body rule. I cannot let it determine, be the determiner of my spiritual state. That often is the last and greatest test for a Christian. As their, as their physical body starts to decay and it can no longer do the things that they took for granted and, and that they wanted to do, um, that they did without thinking, and now are bound, I'm still not going to let my body be the determiner, be the thing that rules me. I'm still going to rule it, even as I uh, submit to the Lord and allow his will to be done. And that is a, a form of, of glorying and honoring the Lord. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. The other question I see in this scripture here, this is verse 22, uh, 22, is am I looking at the means that are around me, the things that are at my disposal, the things that the Lord has given me, am I looking at them for the furtherance of the gospel as to be used for the furtherance of saving Whoever will be saved, whoever will respond, or do I have this kind of this bifurcation, this division? You know, that's the Lord's. This is mine. Um, that's something I do for the gospel. That's something I do for me. Do by all means, whatever has been given to me, within the sphere of my influence, under my my power, within my rights, am I using that? all means that I might by all means save some. This is the example of Apostle Paul and this is the example that he learned from Christ. This is the example of Christ. I pray the Lord would stir us up this morning through this word. It's, it's a, you know, sometimes we have this this guilty feeling as Christians we're not doing enough know that I should be doing more I should be sacrificing more I should be giving more and and um, that can come from a good place that that the Lord is convicting us that we do indeed need to do more but that's only kind of like that that little push from behind will only get you a little the real pull from a from the front the real motivation is the Lord Jesus Christ the real motivation is the one who's going to give you that victor's crown is the one in whose presence you will lay down who will, you'll cast your crown, the one who, who, who has called you and given everything for you to begin with. That's the real motivation. That's these, these feelings that we have, these convictions of, I need to be doing more, that can be that little push. But the real thing that will draw and pull and sustain a, a life that is sacrificed and given for the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ, our love for him, our, our desire for him, that, that in everything, 
uh, he will be our exceeding great reward. You know, I think often we, we kind of come to these decisions, big decisions about sacrificing something, one thing versus the other. It may even come down to with our kids. You know, a decision we make about our life, uh, a certain direction that we go that may put our kids in, in, in danger, uh, more danger by our calculations. Certain decisions that we make and weigh and say, well, you know, I know this is kind of, this is tending more towards the gospel, but this seems to be the safer option here. And yet, it's not just my life, it's now the life of my children that I, that I, have, that I have here. Even in that, my trust and my dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's being tested. Because in the end, what I'm weighing here is just my evaluation. I think this is the safer option. I may lose my kids in the end. I may, the, the worst thing may happen to, to, to them that, that then maybe the physically they may be in danger, they, spiritually. But this option of living a life that's sacrificed for the gospel, that, that, is, that is making those decisions that are not easy, that one in the end actually may be safer for my kids and may be more, of more blasting benefit to them spiritually than the one where I think, well, you know, if we stay here and we do this, it'll be safer. It's, it's a little better for them. That's my evaluation. That's my weighing. That's not being obedient necessarily to the call of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the call that supersedes, that, 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 that goes above every other calling, the calling as a, as a husband or a wife, the calling as a father or a mother, the calling as a whatever your occupation, your physical occupation may be. That calling is the one that supersedes all those and allows all those other callings to be fulfilled in the way that they're supposed to be fulfilled. As I follow the Lord Jesus, When we do that, then we become really partakers of the gospel. We really receive the real blessing of the gospel, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that he has given himself to us, his body, his blood, we daily eat of as we do this. May the Lord bless this word, may he convict us, may he encourage us, may he strengthen us to, to evaluate what things in our lives, what, where we're keeping our rights, where we're thinking, yeah, I have this right. The Bible doesn't say I have to do it. But where the Lord may be asking us, give this up for the furtherance of the gospel. I think every sincere man or woman of God has admired the life of the Apostle Paul. Outside of Jesus Christ, I think he represents the ideal for the believer. In his letter to the Galatians, he puts it as a bit of a paradox, a bit of a mystery. <clears throat> Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul compares his life to like an athlete training for a prize. We heard a little bit of that this morning. Anyone that knows uh, elite level athletes or, or a little bit about them, 
you see how disciplined and how rigorous their their life is, how how single-minded their pursuit of their goal is. It's not enough just to make the team. It's to be the champions. Or it's not enough to, you know, even get on the podium. It's to take the gold medal. And everything else is measured against that objective. We acknowledge that and we, we recognize that. We celebrate that maybe in the life of athletes. But where is that in the life of a Christian? Paul's life was not a balanced one. He didn't do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of something else. It was a single-minded dedication to the gospel and to the Lord who died in his place. And he was determined now to live for him. Brothers and sisters, what defines our life? What is our overriding passion? What is the thing that drives us? What is the thing that people who meet us, who know us, outside of these church walls would say defines who we are? Are we known as being honest, professional, kind, a good neighbor, a nice guy, a nice lady? Or is the thing that people take away from us when they meet us and they know us for a little while. This man is really committed to his religion. He's really committed to this Jesus. Everything that he does is measured by that. Paul was accused of madness for that kind of dedication. But I think only because it's relatively rare. If we could see eternity as clearly as he did, perhaps we would live differently as well. May the Lord give us these reminders in the upcoming weeks when we would search instead for, as it was mentioned this morning, our, our comfort, our happiness, the nice things in this world, and instead realize that we're only here for a limited time and eternity beckons for all of us. What will people define us by? How will they know us? May the Lord remind us of this in the upcoming week. This concludes our service. We dismiss you with the Lord's blessing. Amen.